Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by Adele Merson and Justin Bowie for a look at some of the stories catching our collective eye. Let's start with the structure. As we speak, we're preparing for a budget in the coming days. Uh, the decisions made there will be covered in full on our politics pages on the PJ and Courier. We're not going to second guess too much of the decision making here because we all know it's going to be a tough one. There's still much to be chewed over in cabinet from tax bans to cuts to working backwards towards that last minute choice to freeze council tax, which appears to be causing quite a lot of gnashing of teeth in town halls across the land. What we can do is tell you about the long-term underlying damage, regardless of what happens in the budget, and we'll help you navigate the impact of cuts and the long-term impact shortly. Meanwhile, Hamza Yousaf's back in Scotland after the latest climate change get-together in Dubai. It's not just SNP colleagues he needs to corral, he also has the Greens to keep happy. And if you look at upcoming election battlegrounds, that might not be as easy as you think. Also, what does Irvin Welsh and a Labour candidate in Glenrothes have in common? In a week where everyone is worried about finances and political polling, Justin, what has Labour gone and done to itself in Scotland? So for any of our listeners, you, you may be aware of a pretty remarkable story which came out yesterday about a Labour councillor called Altony Craik, who is wanting to run for the party in Glenrothes. He is seen as second in command at Fife Council, a pretty senior Labour councillor who has run for election in the past at Holyrood and Westminster. So there wasn't anticipated as being any major problems in the pipeline here, but he was told last week that he would no longer be able to stand for this seat in Glenrothes. And the row around that has centred around the fact that he, in his spare time, is also a fiction author who has written a series of sort of satanic detective books about the occult in Scotland and there were basically concerns due to the content being I suppose quite gory quite unsavory at times it's a book series very much for adults so it appears that this has spooked the party to some degree and he was told he will no longer be allowed to stand but there was I think a sense of bemusement within Labour in relation to that because as I say he stood before He's not some maverick outsider. He's been seen as a pretty loyal stalwart to the party who has stood at Mm -hmm. times when he didn't stand a chance of winning, has bided its time and no guarantee he would win it in the next election, but he might finally stand a chance. And now after all of that, he's been told that he won't be able to stand. So yeah, a pretty unique situation and a bit of a headache, I suppose, for Labour and Fife at a time when they would rather not be in the headlines. It is odd though, and um, there's been quite a bit of reaction. Um, a lot of his supporters are, are completely befuddled by this because, you know, like you said, he's he's stood plenty of times before, and how come it's okay for him to continue being a a, a fairly prominent councillor um, in in an administration? Um, lots of feedback, including another uh, author who's um, remarked with surprise. One Irvin Welsh. What did he have to say about it? So Irvin Welsh was heavily critical of Sir Keir Starmer over this. You know, he, he's an interesting figure in that regard, doesn't he? Because Irvin Welsh's books are notorious for their, you know, their bad language, their explicit content, their depiction of, you know, drug yeah. use and drug abuse. So he is someone that, if, if he was wanting to stand for election, uh, for Labour, um, I don't think he's any intention of doing so, certainly. Um, he's not <laughs> the Labour Party's biggest fan these No, no, days. the signs haven't pointed towards that. 
career move. Obviously, he would look at that and argue, well, you know, I would come in for similar criticism in that regard as well. And it's been pointed out that plenty of politicians have been fictional offers in the past. Boris Johnson himself is a fictional offer. I'm aware that I've, I've not read his novel, but I'm aware that it contains plenty of, you know, foul language and quite unsavoury content. His supporters who backed him, if that was ever a question that was raised, would argue that, you know, depiction of something does not necessarily equal endorsement of it. And artistic expression and artistic freedom means that you can depict things that are gory and unsavoury and argue that, well, they are part of the human experience. We're maybe exploring the sort of darker side of the human experience there. And a lot of readers clearly enjoy reading things that are, you know, not things they would do themselves in their day-to-day life. So yeah, Irvin Welsh was um, very critical of that. And I imagine there's quite a few authors who would maybe sort of be quite defensive of Alteney over this. Well, we all know that um, all the top authors listen to the Stushy. And so Ian Rankin, a Pfeiffer, who knows a thing or two about crime novels. If you're listening, do get in touch and tell us what you think about Anthony Craig. Okay, moving on. But Adele, you're, you're more more often found keeping an eye north of the Tay, leaving the Kingdom of Fife to its own its own special way. So we can park this one for for now because while Labour's having some some difficulties there, but is at the races um, in 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 and around Fife and uh, Central Scotland in particular. Uh, there's only a couple of seats really at play for Labour. I mean north as you go north it's it's pretty much an snp conservative battleground labor seem to be odds on for the western isles but other than that it's um they're not they're not the dominant party it's not so much the snp and Tories i want to speak about right now though because it's the greens that are uh, are getting involved they are not going to win a first past the post election at the general election let's be honest but they are standing in murray of well, a new seat um carved out of the existing murray one what, what's happening there? Because um, it's, it's ruffled a few feathers. Yeah, this week we had an Elgin SNP councillor basically slated the Greens really for deciding to run in that new seat that you mentioned of Murray West, Nairn and Strathspey. He's basically said, you know, there is this straight race in his opinion between the SNP and the Conservatives in that seat and that therefore is incomprehensible that the Greens would stand a candidate. I mean... Lots of opinions around this, I'm sure, but I guess it boils down to that that kind of voter behaviour in terms of, you know, there's a lot of discussion, should people vote kind of, um, you know, tactically with, there's no getting away from mm. the fact that yes, it's the SNP and the Conservatives that are the two front runners in that seat. So what he says isn't exactly inaccurate, I guess, but it comes down to the flip side of that is democracy and maybe a sense of entitlement that... You know, who's to say that a Green voter wants to vote for the SNP just because they both agree, perhaps around independence? Um, And I guess it doesn't, it maybe looks a bit like sour sour grapes. It's not exactly a confident, you should be going in confidently, I guess, being like, this is our positive vision and this is why you should vote for us. I guess it doesn't, perhaps isn't a good look to to come out with this. Yeah, you know, have the courage of your convictions. And if you're you're that worried that a few votes might dent the... It's like they're going for a sort of a nationalist block almost, aren't they? They're to sort of like block, you know, to stop the conservatives. That seems to be the 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 atmosphere coming out of 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 um, that particular SNP councillor's mouth. But the the candidates themselves, uh, we've spoken to them. Um, Justin, you actually spoke to to a few people on the ground there. What what um, what's the SNP actual candidate saying about this? 
So I spoke to Graham Ledbetter, who is the former Murray Council leader um, and works with, you know, very closely Jeremy Fernandez, who raised these concerns. Graham was a bit more conciliatory. I suppose he's the one who's got to actually run this race, and he still argued that. The SNP are the only party in town. If you want to get rid of the Tories, the SNP are the party you have to vote for. But he didn't necessarily directly criticise the Greens for running. I mean, I think this is an interesting one because the SNP may be correct that they are the only ones who stand a chance of winning the seats and that voting for them is vital if you want to get the Tories out. But if you go further back, you know, Green sources were pointing this out to me that in the 1970s and the 1960s, Labour could have argued the exact same thing about the SNP in plenty of seats. I mean, if you only fought first-past-the-post seats, if you thought you were going to win, then the SNP would have never fought for one in the past because until 2015, mm -hmm. across waves of Scotland, they'd never been close to winning, you would say, the majority of Scotland's seats. You know, the maximum tally they'd ever had was nowhere near even half of Scotland's total. So... I think there was a bit of a sense of perhaps that arrogance and entitlement that people would have associated with the Labour Party perhaps 10, 15 years ago, where the Labour Party would frame a UK election as a race between the Labour and the Tories and would say that, well, you can't vote for the SNP in Scotland because they're not going to win at Westminster, therefore Labour are the party you need to back. And it's interesting that after nearly 10 years of dominating in Scotland, the SNP seemed to have taken up that similar attitude. I mean, from the perspective of the Greens, yes, they're not going to win this seat, but they had a record Holyrood intake a couple of years ago. They got their first ever councillor in Murray last year. So they will argue that standing at a Westminster election normalises the idea of the Greens standing in these areas where they've not perhaps been at the yeah. strongest in the past. It normalises the idea of the Greens going for more and more seats. And if they want to build their reputation, they will see that as a natural process. And while the SNP want to form that nationalist bloc, the unionist parties will argue, well, there's three main unionist parties. Why should the SNP automatically be entitled to all of that independence vote? Yeah. One thing that all of these parties do have in common is that they are all having to deal with what's coming down the line before Christmas, which is the Scottish budget. And while the Greens might not be um, planning to you know, pop the champagne corks at the general election in, in Scottish constituencies. They are part of the Scottish government um, here at Holyrood. If you're paying attention, the top lines to the, the upcoming budgets are basically boiled down to we're all doomed. I think that's about it. Um, Adele, you, you more than anyone in this troop have been kind of raking over the underlying problems with... Um, a government promising progressive taxes, but also a council tax freeze, pain from some places and jam tomorrow, as usual. What are the some of the warning signs from council leaders and opposition group members that you've been picking up as you speak to them around the country? Well, the thing that strikes me is, you know, there's not one that said things are, you know, okay or things are good. Uh, they all paint a bleak picture and that comes from every, you know, lots of different parties. So spoke to mm. Aberdeen, where the SNP run the council in a coalition with the Liberal Democrats. And, you know, even they were saying, they were pleading for both governments to, to offer more money. Um, I also spoke with Orkney, which has a bit of a, obviously they're all very different councils and very different geographies. They've got a very bleak and black 
position, they said um, their problem is that, uh, I think this is the problem of many councils, they've been dipping into their reserves, which are kind of, you know, you're wanting to keep your reserves for future years to future-proof your budgets. But they're having to mm-hmm. dip into those Orkney used 17% of its budget last year came from reserves. So they basically are saying they're using those at an unsustainable rate. So what struck me about that was, obviously, you've got the problems here and now, but those kind of decisions that are being taken just to provide kind of the services we currently have will kind of will come through in years to come when, you know, they don't have the, the same level of reserves. And they all say, you know, they want to see Hamza Youssef announced at SNP conference in Aberdeen October that he was going to freeze council tax. So yeah, they all want to see that fully funded, but we're still, I mean, that's two months on and still nobody is any clearer as to what that actually means in percentage or cash terms. Orkney, again, you know, they increased their council tax by 10% last uh, budget and they were hoping to do the same again and obviously they're, they're waiting and they're expecting that to be fully funded that's what they expect of government but we were no clearer as to what that will be yeah and on the at the other um part of the tax raising spectrum the, the government's going to have to talk about tax bans and uh, there's been a lot of chat um in the media, some speculation about splits and a difficulty to for them to, to come to an agreement on what to do there because they've now they're now faced with a, a real dilemma because councils don't really have much in the way of uh, powers to raise money. Um, the government's going to have to find cash to to pay for a lot of things, particularly um, actual payroll as well. They've made a lot of big promises to to keep people keep people's pay up. They have to think about whether or not to increase taxes or even bring in a new tax band. But how could you tell conference on one hand, we're going to protect your household bills at a time where, you know, there's a cost of living crisis. And then a few weeks later, say, we're also going to have to raise your income tax to to pay for the thing we said it was going to protect your household bills. So it, it's, um, it's, it's clearly a big problem that's not, you know, entirely um, of not of their own making. Justin, is there a problem here just with the whole principle of how we operate with a, with our government structure? Um, what's the what's the point if councils can just hope to sit back, wait for cuts, and then tell people there's nothing they can do? Well, I think it's quite pertinent in the sort of Scottish political setting, given the SNP want to break away from the UK. They regularly argue that they have policy dictated to them by Westminster or as we've seen this year, policy sometimes blocked by Westminster. But there's still that centralising tendency at Holyrood as well, isn't it? Where the SNP obviously need to set a budget. They want to give a sort of nice big policy to voters that's quite easy to promote and that's quite easy to sell. But the problem is that then restricts the ability of local councils to raise revenue. And it is a tricky one. You know, any national government is going to need to have some level of control over policy. We have 32 different council areas across Scotland. Some of them are naturally going to be limited in what they can do. But councillors will argue that if you value local government and at a national level, if you're a party that sort of values devolution and values people being able to make decisions about their own lives at a local level, local councils do need to have the power to, say, raise taxes when they need revenue, raise taxes when they want to avoid cuts to vital services. But the problem often seems to be that 
parties at a national level, and this is not just the SNP as well, become spooked when parties at local level perhaps take different or difficult decisions. So we've seen outside the area we cover, but we've seen in Lanarkshire, you know, Labour councillors were going to make big cuts to local services. Those cuts were obviously heavily criticised, but you then saw the Labour Party jumping in to be like, well, no, you, you can't do that. And it seems that national parties are very, very scared about what their parties might do at a local level. That sort of diverges yeah. away from what happens at a national level. And perhaps in Scotland, local councils aren't necessarily seen as having the gravitas or heft to sort of talk back against that or to avoid that. Yeah. You could contrast it to England, where somebody like Andy Burnham has a bit of power, has a bit of heft, and can perhaps speak back against not only the UK government, but against Sir Keir Starmer. It's difficult to think of too many councillors in Scotland who would be seen as having that level of sort of power to speak back against yeah. their own party. Well, I was in Haddington in East Lothian just the other day where the the cabinet with Hamza Youssef up front were, were talking to local people. And it was actually quite striking being in the room because, I mean, the, the lion's share of concerns raised by people had nothing to do with central government other than that they hold the purse strings ultimately. Um, it was all about planning applications, um, car parking charges, all that stuff. And it's all things that what, cabinet secretary after cabinet secretary had to say, well, that's really a, a council matter. Um, so you can see that you know, the day-to-day -day concerns that people have are local authority concerns. And it just underlines how important it is to have them well funded and 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 to be able to for them to be able to have the freedom to make make decisions and it's clearly going to get harder once the budget is set um without gazing into a crystal ball too much i can't imagine it getting any easier um anyway that that's that's all a bit gloomy today i mean there is some good news in the mix as well um that we've been reporting on this week uh, jobs uk minister john glenn was in aberdeen just a few days ago last friday where he spoke to you adele did he come bearing any gifts? Yes, they had an announcement that they're bringing hundreds of, uh, well, relocating hundreds of civil servant roles from the UK government's energy security department to new offices in Aberdeen. There's not really too much specific detail. We, we know it will be sort of civil servant positions from graduate level up to senior civil servants, but we don't know exactly how many or exact timescales or where the offices will be. But it's certainly good news uh, business community locally has welcomed it they had actually called for it earlier this year i think people feel that it will be beneficial to have you know the industry able uh, the industry has said you know they'll appreciate the the greater access to government that this will provide so yes relatively mm. positive reaction to that good well i mean you spoke to him there and we and and took along a mic so let's um let's listen to the man himself well because i think it's important that people um feel that the government that they have and the departments that work for government aren't just based in london there's no reason for that we have a very skewed economic geography in the united kingdom with a lot of economic power if you like in london and the southeast and it's important that we do what we can to develop centers of gravity if you like outside and so we do that think thoughtfully about where there are industries and core expertise that we, we require and given the strength of the oil and gas industry and the renewables and energy transition imperative here in Aberdeen that's why Desnes is having its second headquarters here. That's it there is no more we'll be back next Wednesday and until then thanks to Adele Merson, Justin Bowie and producer Morvan McIntyre and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week for our last Stushi of 2023. 
But until then, pick up a paper or log into The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.